me to John's Gospel. I made mention last Sunday morning um, that I was just going to dwell on the resurrection appearances just for um, a little bit longer. Um, probably this will be the last week of it. But it's too great a truth to, to just confine to, to one Sunday in the year. Um, so I want to read from John 20 and uh, from verse 24. We remind ourselves that this is the word of God. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So reads God's precious word. We thank I really do enjoy the writings of A.W. Tozer. And if you've never read anything at all of Tozer, then I encourage you to do so. Even reading some of his quotes, I find to be challenging, uh, encouraging, and very much straight to the point. Came across this one recently. It is the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. And brothers and sisters, it is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that changes everything. Doubt to faith, despair to joy, death to life. And as people of the risen King, we are to rejoice we are to glory in his resurrection. And so we come 
to the verses that we read earlier, which give us an account of the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples one week after that first resurrection Sunday. And I know the passage is so well known. I want to just share with you three things from these verses, all centered on Thomas. We'll see that Thomas was missing, Thomas doubting, and Thomas believing. Thomas missing. Thomas, I find to be a really interesting character. He is one that I guess many of us, or at least I know that I can, if we are honest, we can identify with Thomas. We come across him at least twice before in John's Gospel. In chapter 11, verse 16, he shows what is a great deal of loyalty to, to, to the Lord Jesus when he says, let us also go that we may die with him. He is stating that he is prepared to die with Jesus. Pretty impressive. Then we meet him again in John 14, where I'm sure many of you know the account, where we see, see him stating, if you like, a certain amount of ignorance, yet complete honesty. Jesus has been telling the disciples that he is going away to prepare a place for them and, and that he's, he's telling the disciples, disciples, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas speaks up and says, as far as I'm concerned, kind of rather logically, well, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Logical question. And what is often missed when we look at John chapter 14 is this. Did you notice that Thomas says, Lord, we, we don't know. He doesn't, Lord, he says, we don't know the way. He is acting as a kind of spokesperson. He asked the question that they all wanted to know the answer to. And we should be forever grateful to Thomas for asking that question of Jesus. Because Jesus, in answering it, gives to us the clearest answer to the question that many people ask today. How do I get to heaven? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I say good on Thomas. Then we come to the verses that we read earlier, and it's the third time that we read of them. And we find that on that first resurrection Sunday night, Jesus was not with, sorry, Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus first appeared. 
And Scripture is silent as to why he was missing. So any conjecture is only just that. He may have had a very legitimate reason. He may not. But whatever, by being missing, by not being there, he did miss out on something very, very special that first Easter Sunday. And brothers and sisters, it is not for nothing that the writer to the Hebrews writes warning believers not to give up meeting together. A take it or leave it approach to gathering with the people of God is, I believe, a very serious road to go down. Of course there are times we just can't be there. That's not what the verse in Hebrews is speaking about. It is speaking about those who could, those who should be at the place of worship. Yet bizarrely and my own view, choose to be somewhere else. When we gather as the gathered people of God, whether that be for corporate prayer on a Thursday or, or a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, and you choose to absence yourself, what are you doing that is more important than meeting with God and with God's people? J.C. Ryle speaking about how much Christians may lose by not regularly attending the gathering of God's people, says this. The very sermon that we needlessly, and, and the emphasis here is on needlessly, okay? The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain the message our souls need. The very assembly for praise and prayer from which we stayed away may be the very gathering that would have cheered, established, and uplifted our hearts. Thomas was missing. And he missed out on the peace and on the joy that the presence of the risen Christ brought to the disciples that first Easter Sunday. What a week of torment that must have been for Thomas. Brothers and sisters, and take this with the love in which it is given. Beware of needlessly missing the gathering of God's people. Thomas missing. Secondly, Thomas doubting. Notice how the other disciples wasted no time at all in telling Thomas the good news that they had seen the Lord. 
You know, that in itself reminds us, friends, that good news is for sharing. Thomas, as we've seen for whatever reason, had missed this. But his friends made sure that he heard about it. How good are we at sharing the good news about Jesus? And I think as you read this, that there is a certain amount of joy in, in, in their tone. They didn't meet Thomas in kind of, oh, by the way, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Verse 20 tells us that when they saw the Lord, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. There is something to get excited about. Jesus is alive. We've seen him. And notice how we are told that it is all the disciples who told Thomas. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is not just defined to or restricted to one or two of us. Yet notice how Thomas responds. Unless I see the nail marks in his hand. I put my finger where the nails were. I put my hand in his side. I will not believe it. Thomas remains skeptical and obstinate. I will not believe it. Despite the testimony of those with whom he had spent the last three years with, we've seen the Lord despite the teachings and promises that Jesus gave while he was with him. None of these things that appears is going to persuade Thomas. Unless I see, I will not believe, he says. What had brought Thomas to this point? Well, it certainly didn't help, as you saw in our first point, that for whatever reason he, as it were, cut himself off from the rest was missing, but perhaps, perhaps it was just all too much for him to grasp. You see, things hadn't worked out as he thought. The cross, Jesus dying and then kind of being alive, the whole thing almost seems like a contradiction. Dead men don't rise from the dead. And this apparent contradiction can be a stumbling block to many people still today. Something happens in their life. Some event that, that, that seems to contradict everything else that you either may have believed or, or, or at least thought about. How could this or that happen? If God is a God of love, then why this and why that? And Thomas, despite the testimony of those he knew, of those he trusted, and despite the teachings of Jesus about this very thing of how he had to die and how he would rise again, Thomas is emphatic that unless I see, and he lays down conditions, I will not believe. Perhaps you fall into that scenario this morning. You know people. 
Trust people in your own family. Well, you trust people who are Christians. Over the years, they may have sought to witness to you, to tell you about Jesus. I've seen the Lord. You might even have some Bible knowledge yourself. But something happened. Maybe you were put off by church. Maybe you were put off by other Christians. None of us are perfect. And what you saw just kind of contradicts or, or at least appears to contradict everything. And like Thomas, this morning, you're in that position where you refuse to believe. Or you may be looking for a sign. If only God would show me. And Thomas lays down something of a challenge here. Well, what do you know? Fast forward a week. And good on Thomas because he's now present with the assembled people. And while, again, we are told that the doors were locked, Jesus comes as he did the week before, and he stands among his disciples. And again, notice the first thing he does, he speaks peace. Peace. Shalom. See, brothers and sisters, it is the presence of the risen Christ that brings peace into any and every situation. Someone has once remarked that peace is not so much the absence of problems, for we all have them. Anyone here this morning problem-free? We all have them. Peace is not the absence of problems. It is the presence of Jesus. Whatever you're going through. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We'll be thinking of that from, from, from Joseph tonight, of how the Lord was with him, whether he was in the palace or whether he was in the prison. And as Jesus stands there in that upper room, he looks at Thomas and he says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Have you ever thought How did Jesus know what Thomas had asked for? Jesus is giving to Thomas exactly what he asked for. How did he know? Well, Jesus knows all things. Back in Luke chapter 12, verse 3, we are told this. 
Jesus tells us, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be claimed from the rooftops. We cannot hide anything from God. Nothing. He knows all. He sees all. He hears all. And Jesus comes to Thomas and says, see my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Jesus met Thomas at his point of need. And Jesus does the same today. And Jesus has what I see as something of a mild rebuke and a challenge. When he looks at Thomas, and after inviting him to do what Thomas said that he would do and wouldn't believe until he did, he says this to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. That phrase has been going through my mind all week. I happen to believe that these words, stop doubting and believe, that these words are for someone here this morning. You have been searching. You may actually have wondered You may be looking for a sign. There is evidence all around. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. And he would stand here this morning and he would say, stop doubting and believe. Doubt is not sin. Unbelief is. Warren Wearsby makes the point, good point I think, that doubt can often, doubt can often be an intellectual problem. We want to believe, but, 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 but the faith kind of is overwhelmed by problems and questions. Unbelief is a moral problem. We simply will not believe. Stop doubting. What of you this morning? Jesus comes and would, as it were, show us what he has done for us. God can give no greater sign than the cross of Calvary. You doubt God's love? Look to the cross. But it's not a dead Jesus that we worship. It's a risen, exalted, coming against him. And he stands amongst us. And he says, stop doubting. Believe. Thomas missing. Thomas doubting. Thirdly and finally, Thomas believing. 
as you read this account, you will, we, we can never argue anything from silence in Scripture. That's an important point. But as we read that account, it seems to me that that one look at Jesus, one look at Jesus, what was enough for Thomas? And he, and he confesses, my Lord, my God. And John does not tell us whether Thomas took Jesus up on his offer to touch the marks of his body. My, my own personal view is that I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think it was enough for him to see Jesus and to see the marks. I think he was just so overwhelmed, so overjoyed to see the risen Jesus that his doubting was gone in a moment. And he confesses a heartfelt belief in Jesus Christ. My Lord. My God. You know, friends, that is the point, the very point that we all need to get to. The point where we acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if he's not Lord of all, if he's not Lord of all your life, he's not Lord at all. And what we see here in this confession, if you like, of, of Thomas is, as one of the other writers says, says, he says this, the most outrageous doubter of the resurrection of Jesus utters the greatest confession of the Lord who rose from the dead. My Lord, my God. And that day, one week on from the resurrection, in that room, Thomas was confronted with his own words. And with Jesus standing before him, showing to Thomas the signs of his love and the fact that he was alive, Thomas believed. What about you? Not the person you're sitting beside, not the person you live with, not your parent, not your child. What about you? Stop doubting. Believe. Notice what Jesus does next. I'm nearly finished. He acknowledges, he, he accepts Thomas and, and, and his confession. You see, Jesus always accepts those who willingly submit to his lordship. He'll never turn us away. Then he says this to Thomas. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What an encouragement that is this morning. You see, Jesus is thinking ahead. He's thinking beyond Thomas. He's thinking of beyond the early church. 
He's thinking of all who would come to believe right down to the present time, 22nd of April, 2018. And he says, blessed. Which, as you know, means happy, more than happy. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, then you are blessed. And that should have put a smile on your face. And John finishes by telling us that Jesus did many other miraculous signs which are not recorded in this book. However, what is recorded is recorded for a purpose. And that purpose, that pur- the purpose of John's gospel, the sole purpose is that those who read and those who hear may also come to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. The resurrection, friends, of Jesus Christ from the dead changes everything. He came to give life, he came to give his life a ransom. He died and he rose again in order that your sins might be forgiven. And by believing in him, You can know that forgiveness. You can know peace. You can know joy. You can know life everlasting in his presence. Stop doubting and believe. And you will be more blessed than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truthfulness, its honesty, the way that it shows us in some ways the the flaws and, 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 and the failings, the fears and the doubts of people just like ourselves. And thank you for what we've learned about Thomas this morning. And Lord, when it's possible, help us to make the gathering with your people a priority. Father, I pray for those who, whose love perhaps has grown cold, who have, as it were, wandered who have lost something of that first love, where doubt may even be coming upon them. Lord, would you just by the Holy Spirit, would you just reveal Jesus and all his love to them afresh? And Lord, for anyone that's here this morning who has never come to that point of belief, Please, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you convict them of their sin and bring them to that point just as Thomas did, 
where they cry out, my Lord and my God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. Love that is vast as the ocean. We thank you for your grace. The grace that takes our sin and has paid our debt completely. As we rise to sing that great hymn, may it not just be good words to a good tune, but may it be a reality for each one of us, for our eternal destiny, and for your glory we pray.